0: Thank you. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. That is my first middle and last name. Not one of those weird deals where a man and his wife have a joint social media account. My wife's name is not Ashley. It's Lauren. My name, my middle name, happens to be Ashley. And you can snicker if you want. That's fine. It doesn't bother me. I rather like my first, middle, and last name. I'm okay with it. Today is episode 161 of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, season three, episode 226 of this podcast overall. And in this episode, I want to talk about something that our preaching and teaching group at Summit View has been kicking back and forth this week. Somehow we got into talking about the difference between topical sermons and expository preaching. And I'll confess at this point, and I should have confessed in the group chat, but I might be conflating a few things out of ignorance. That's possible. But then again, it's also possible that there's a little bit of overlap and confusion even just in how these terms are usually used. But as I understood it, topical sermons are just that. They're sermons giving you an overview of a certain topic selected by the preacher. So the preacher might say, today we're going to talk about silence. Let's go Old Testament, New Testament, bounce around a lot, what does the Bible say about silence? And we're going to really focus in on silence, like yesterday's episode of this podcast was awkward silence. A topical sermon might give you a broad survey of everything that the Bible says about silence. Now, by contrast, expository preaching, I thought, was, where not only are you taking greater pains to pull out the context and explain the grammar of a particular verse or selection of verses, defining the words. Here's what this word means in the Greek or in the Hebrew. Here's where else that word is used in the Greek and in the Hebrew in God's word like this. So we get a better idea of what it means in this context. Sometimes words can be used Different places and have different meanings depending on the context. But not only that is expository preaching, also, I thought that preaching through books of the Bible went hand in hand with that by necessity. Now, sometimes it does. And it does far more often with expository preaching than it does with topical preaching, because topical preaching likes to bounce around more based on what the preacher believes are the most important things we need to focus on. Whereas expository preaching is, okay, what is the context? Well, if we're going to talk about the context, you might as well just go through the book from beginning to end, have the first sermon in a series be, let's do an introduction. And this is what we do at Summit View, and I love it. I think it's great. I think it's very helpful. But We're going to introduce you to this book and explain the backstory and help you understand the context of the book as a whole. And then once you've got that, we're going to start in chapter one, verse one, and we're going to go on down through chapter one, chapter two, chapter three in sequence. Now, in doing some research after having opened my big mouth and waxing eloquent with the group. I find that expository preaching may not necessarily involve preaching through books of the Bible. And also, for that matter, as Paul Pavlik pointed out, expository preaching does overlap with topical preaching because there is a topic in the text. Whatever text you're going to be preaching from in God's Word, there's a topic there already selected by God breathed out by God, written down by his servants. And so it's not a question of, are you going to have a topic? It's a question of, how is your topic chosen? If it's in the text and you're just preaching through a book of the Bible, well, then your topic is chosen for you. And let's try to expose, reveal, clarify what's in the text. But what's interesting to me is as we talk about that in this group, back and forth all week, which was great, which is, I think, very, very interesting. I find myself thinking long and hard about different reasons, different personal philosophies for preaching regarding the role of the sermon in the life of the Christian. And one of the comments that was made by more than one, but I thought it interesting, I thought it important to ponder, to give greater attention to, was that in this day and age, it's very common for counseling to be part of the sermon. And is that good? Is it good that, Counseling for individuals who are known to be struggling with certain sins or hardships, is it good that counseling makes its way into the sermon? If we're trying to reveal what's in God's Word, is it appropriate for us to be counseling from the pulpit? Or should that be segregated out? Should that be separated, have its own place, but not in the sermon? That should be a one on one conversation with that person, with those people with that family, with that couple, with those friends, etc., etc. And I find myself thinking about Proverbs and how Proverbs is organized. So all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction unto righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As Paul writes to Timothy. And so we come to a question with regards to topical and expository preaching. Suppose you're doing expository preaching from a book like Proverbs. And I'll just read for you Proverbs 23, and then I'll explain the question that I have with regards to this, starting from verse 1 in the English Standard Version. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat, if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for there Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction, and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners but continue in the fear of Yahweh all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it by wisdom instruction and understanding the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him let your father and mother be glad let her who bore you rejoice my son give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways for a prostitute is a deep pit An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So that is Proverbs chapter 23. Here's the question. What's the topic? Well, wisdom, clearly. And of course, yes, you're thinking it. I know. If you were doing an expository message from this chapter, you would not do an expository message necessarily. With the entire chapter, you would bite off certain chunks But that really gets to my point. How would you select what chunks of this go together? You might say, well, the people who translated this into English, they helped us out by giving us some paragraphs. And we have verse numbers and we have chapter numbers. Yes, yes. But are the paragraph separations inspired? Or sometimes... Are two paragraphs, three paragraphs, multiple paragraphs, more than what you would think needing to be connected together? Do we sometimes have a hard time seeing how things are connected if we're looking at it all through the microscope? Sometimes what is needed is to take a step back, to reorient the passage or reframe it from more distance instead of less distance. Zoom out. It's like when you're playing a strategy game on the computer. Sometimes the bigger your empire gets, the more you have to zoom out in order to see enough of it to make a decent assessment. Or in the case of how my monitors are oriented on the computer that I'm recording this podcast on right now, I've got one central monitor, 32 inches widescreen. It's beautiful. It is oriented the way that most monitors are oriented. Landscape mode. So it is longer from side to side than it is from top to bottom. On the left and the right of that central monitor, I have two other monitors. I have 27-inch Acer monitors. My center monitor is a Pixio. It's a better monitor. The one's on The left and the right are cheaper, but I don't look at them as often or I just don't, I don't look at the same things on them. If I'm going to watch a movie or play a game, I play it on the central monitor. If I'm trying to read text or look at a long list or chat with somebody or write an email or write anything really, I'll usually have that on one of the side monitors, left or right. And And my reason for that is I can see more. When something is wider than it is tall, I put it on the central monitor. When it's taller than it is wide, and I'm going to be scrolling up and down a fair amount in order to see it all, study it all, I'll put it on one of these side monitors. And my point in that is without as much effort, without as much strain, I can see more of Proverbs 23, for instance, I can see right now, without zooming out or anything, I can see from verse 1 to verse 28 in one fell swoop on my right-hand side monitor. So I can see and look back and forth and glance back and forth without a whole lot of lost motion more easily. But again, going back to this question of if you were doing an expository message from Proverbs, how would you break it up? I'm looking at a slightly greater space between verse 21 and 22. There's also a slightly bigger space between verse 18 and 19. So 19 through 21, they must go together, right? Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Boom. There's a sermon. There's a slightly greater space between 25 and 26. So 22 through 25 must go together. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Okay, those things, they must go together. And when we read them out loud, Or silently, they certainly do go together. But there's a a longer stretch here. Verse 1 through 18 has no larger space. It would seem that this whole section is together. But here in the one part, we're looking at striking children with rods to discipline them. Spanking. Just say spanking. But at the beginning we're reading about eating with a rich man or a stingy man or a ruler. If the king invites you over for lunch and he sets a table with lots of very fine foods, you should not eat too much. Eat very little and pay much closer attention to what it is that he's saying and moreover, what it is that you're saying. Because he is calculating. He is wanting something from this meal. He is not wasting his time. He did not invite you over just because he thinks you look a little bit thin these days. He didn't invite you over because he just is that generous. He invited you over to get something from you. And if you're foolish, you're going to fall into a trap here. If you don't catch his purpose for having you over, you might give away something you didn't mean to, and you might regret it. But riddle me this, without a paragraph gap here, what connects that first half of this selection, verses 1 through 18, with the latter half of this section, about disciplining children? Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to To words of knowledge, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Well, what could potentially, possibly, maybe connect these things might be lost if we're too rushed to break these things out in a topical sermon. Do we understand how these things are connected? Because this is very often a form in Proverbs, even within one verse. Within one verse, you might have... This compare and contrast and analogy and symbolism that's supposed to help you understand better a certain thing. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Compare and contrast. Comparing the righteous with lions. Contrasting the wicked with the righteous. That's very often done throughout Proverbs. Contrasting the wise with the foolish, the godly with the godless. Do not do not, do not, do not. Lots of do nots. Lots of advice here. But you catch my meaning, right? If we're talking about a topic, it might not be intuitive that certain things go together in a selection of passages for the exact same reason that we need to consider if They do, if God intended for them to go together. If there's a bit of a nuance here and a mystery here, is it possible, for instance, just taking this one, this Proverbs 23 example, we're being advised regarding eating with a man who is stingy or with a ruler. Observe carefully what is before you. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Verse 3. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So what's being talked about here is not all that glitters is gold. It's going to look really, really good, but hold on a second. Not so fast. Let's think about this. Self-control, restraint. Maybe that is related to disciplining a child. Do not withhold discipline from a child, verse 13. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, which is the grave. If you discipline your child, you will help him to acquire self-control, like he's going to need if he's ever invited over to the king's palace to have a bite to eat. If he's ever invited over to a very shrewd, stingy man, to dine with him, he's going to need to be self-controlled because if he isn't, he might fall into a trap. It's so interesting to me because this question of where the emphasis goes comes up again and again. You take the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate. Calvinists don't deny that there is a choice What they argue is that God's sovereign choice deserves almost all or 100% of the emphasis when it comes to understanding salvation. The work of salvation is 100% the will of God, and there isn't even the will of man in believing it. Not even believing it. You don't even get the choice to believe it. The Arminian, meanwhile, says, it's 100% God's choice that we have the ability to choose to believe, which is true on both ends of the equation. It's just a question of perhaps, as I understand it anyways, or maybe it. when and how and where and for whom is the ability to choose given? And is it really the ability to choose? If God puts the faith in you and then you make the choice, He puts the faith in you, that initial germ of faith. It's not a, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, but it's a, I put even that little mustard seed of faith in you. You don't even get credit for that. It's a question of emphasis to some extent, because on the one hand, we say, how can man be free to choose in that scenario? And on the other hand, we hear, well, he's not. That's just it. It isn't about his choice. It's about God's choice. And on the other hand, we say, well, what if it's God's choice that it's our choice? Well, yes, it is. God chooses that the elect are able to choose, but of course they will choose him when he changes their nature ever so slightly because he elected them. Vessels of wrath on the one hand, vessels of mercy and grace on the other hand. It would seem as though there's an element of emphasis, where do you put the stress with regards to that question? It would also seem it's a question of where do you put the emphasis and the stress, which foot do you lead with when it comes to topical preaching versus expository preaching? Is the topic absent from expositional preaching? No. May you sometimes, might you sometimes have to look a little closer, think a little harder to make sure you understand what the topic actually is in a passage? Yes. But therein lies perhaps a more intentional and more fruitful and more productive program. Is it possible to have a topical sermon which is also expository? Sure. But that's not usually the way that it goes, in my experience. Topical sermons, let's say the topic is marriage. We're going to talk about everything that the Bible says about marriage. Sometimes those sermons are chunk, 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 five or six much smaller sermons, five or six eight-minute sermons, Really? or four or five, five five-minute mini-sermons on these passages, and then one 10 to 15-minute sermon on this key passage that we're really going to focus on today. But when we are the ones choosing the topic, that can be spirit-led. That can also be agenda-driven. But then, on the other hand, with expository preaching, going through books of the Bible, which I would say is probably the greatest fulfillment of the emphasis such as it is with what's termed expositional preaching, expository preaching. Even your treatment of a certain chunk of the text can be that way too. Whether you're looking at it through a microscope or a telescope, whether you're looking at it in landscape orientation, or portrait orientation, whether you need to scroll side to side or up and down to get the full thing. We can skip over certain things, gloss over certain things, play down certain things, emphasize our own opinion, our own bias regarding certain things. So there's a bit of a a puzzle to it, and there's a need for intentionality and self-control any way you slice it. I think that's fair to say. We want to handle God's word faithfully. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Verse 26. Verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Verse 22. Verse 19. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Verse 19. So we see there's an effort that has to be made in order to be wise. Listen. Give me your heart. Here, be wise. Direct your heart. That's what we have to do. Whether we're sitting under preaching and teaching, whether we're engaging in preaching and teaching, that's what we have to do. But I got to leave it there. It's a Saturday morning, October 9th, two thousand twenty-one, has at least a couple of things in store. At least I hope. I plan, including but not limited to resting. I'm gonna go grab another cup of coffee, but. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.